Rockland County, New York, where uh, it was an older podcast from a couple of years ago, apparently. And the uh, what do you call it? The uh, a, a parent left a child, it might have been two ch- children now, in a car and went to work in the summer. And ended up killing both cars. Uh, that was right in both uh, children. That was right here in uh, New City where I live. So it made national attention. And this week we had all the stuff going on with the, uh, oh, with the, uh, what do you call it? We had uh, with the floods up in uh, Rockland County. We're still getting a lot of reports on those. I'm probably going to take a uh, ride up there, see what's going on in northern Rockland County, uh, see how the recovery is going. I tell you what, it was a complete nightmare. Uh, Families from our church were impacted uh, by this. And it's, uh, you know, what are you going to do? Recover. Uh, Thankfully, uh, no one got killed aside from one person who I was swept away in the flood, unfortunately, and uh, we'll go from there. On that, uh, I know one death is a tragedy for that family and that family and the friends and everything else, but this could have been a lot worse because this came up all of a sudden. So my condolences out to that family and everything else. All right. Moving on, we're we don't have a lot of commentary here today, but uh, no stories or anything like that. But we're going to talk about something. Are you getting your money's worth out of your training? We all know of your if you're an OSHA outreach trainer. Right. And what's the process of becoming an OSHA outreach trainer is that you have to go uh, for a one-week class and whatever standards you're dealing with. So if you're dealing with uh, maritime, it's, has, it's a one-week class of maritime standards. Construction, a one-week class on construction standards. General industry, a one-week class on general industry standards. And then you take another, I believe it's four days for to become a trainer. And every Four years, you have to go for a recertification, which is three days. I forget exactly what the prerequisites are for this uh, disaster response worker, but it's something very similar. Uh, One of them being that you have to be a trainer in one of the other disciplines before you're a disaster response trainer. At least that's the way it was. Now, we had a situation for a client who's a general contractor who uh, ended up managing other contractors, subcontractors that were not their own. We'll leave it at that. It was for a uh, the host employer, uh, and they got stuck with, you know, and this is just the way the nature of the beast, they, you know, and everyone's getting paid and everything, so it's not an issue with that, and there's contracts. It's all in the scope of work. But they were not able to vet the uh, host client and the host contractor does not vet their subcontractors very well. And it got foisted on me uh, at this facility to uh, get the other contractors up to speed. And in writing and doing the job hazard analysis, we're going to talk about that sometime next week. It was discovered that 
everybody went to an OSHA outreach training course. And what happened, right, uh, what an OSHA outreach training course is, regardless of whether it's 10 or 30 hours or seven and a half and 15 if you're in disaster, it's meant to be like an introductory course, an awareness level course. A course that says, well, hey, uh, you know, uh, these are what some of the hazards are. And the people who came out of that, and I said to them uh, with some of the questions, I said, well, ex- I want to get on the same page here. Exactly what kind of uh, experience do you have in the construction industry? And they told me, and I said, okay, what kind of training have you had? They said, well, we've had OSHA outreach training, 10-hour course. And what happened was they were not, you know, and this is not the employee's fault. Yeah, so if you're looking at me on the streamer, I finally got a uh, haircut, right? I got a comment this week. Jim, you jump around too much. Well, you know, it's safety wars. It is what it is. I am who I am, and I'm comfortable with it. And they were not able to ascertain, to assess any hazards. As a matter of fact, they didn't even know what an OSHA competent person was. Well, by OSHA definitions, which we know is someone who is able to assess and identify hazards and has the authority to correct them. No clue. Uh, when they made out their paperwork for the class, it was along the lines of there are slip and trip, slip hazards. They didn't say slip, trip, and fall hazards, just slip hazards. I looked at their work and I said, well, you mean to tell me you spent 10 hours in a training class and the only, and I was being a little bit tongue-in-cheek here, the only thing that you were able to assess was there are slip hazards. There are no other hazards here. No. I said, okay, well, what's your scope of work? And they gave me the whole scope of work. And they're working from height and they're working with forklifts and they're working with scissor lifts. I said, so none of those pieces of equipment have any hazards on them? No. We're using those because the preventer has them. Okay, I get it. But you can fall off a ladder. Scissor lifts could fail. Some facilities require fall protection on scissor lifts. And we went on and on and on. So what the moral of the story is, and I suspect that these, these folks bought their certificates on the street, their outreach training uh, stuff on the street. They're from the New York City area. That's a very fairly common activity in New York City and Metro New York City. Uh, this project was in New Jersey for that to happen. But if they did not buy anything off the street, my question is, what value are you getting out of that training? Seems like a simple question. Are you getting that training just to fulfill a contract requirement? Are you getting that training to actually teach your workers some type of a skill and training skill, something like that? And something that you really have to ask, what do you want out of that training? And it came out at at it at the end of it. I said, look, if they didn't teach you any of this stuff, any of these hazards or anything, I, one, I have to question you, the training, who did the training and everything. Number two, one, and number two, What's the deal here? What? No. How can you go through 10 hours of training without learning anything other than slip hazards? 
Well, uh, no, they're looking at each other. Oh, oh, no. And I said, was it in a language that you could understand? Yes, it was. And they mentioned the name of the trainer. I said, that's a very good trainer on there. I don't understand what happened here. I've worked with this person before. So this is what my question is. With this. Are you getting value out of it? Are they actually learning a skill? Because if you're a trainer, you have to ensure people are learning some type of a skill out of that. Otherwise, it's just education. We could sit here and talk about education all the time. Education is not necessarily learning a skill. It's learning facts and ideas, things of that nature. And uh, no, I just question it. The other thing is this. Who the, who's putting who in charge? Are the companies, do they realize what, is going, no, who they're putting in charge, who are they hiring? They don't care who they're hiring. That's always saying. And in this case, it was a temp agency. So this is often what happens with temporary employment agencies. Temporary employment agencies, they say, well, we're getting hired by whoever the client is, and they're responsible for everything. Now, if you're a safety professional, does that fly with you? doesn't fly with OSHA. Because the worker has to be protected by someone. And you, in this case, you have a multi-employee, multi-employer job site. Everybody has their roles and everybody could be held equally responsible. So this is you know, the type of dilemmas that we face all the time. And you have to be very ginger uh, about it, gingerly about it, right? Gently. You have to care. And the way I approach this is if... Your employer is not sharing this. And no, this employer is not a client of mine. If your employer is willing to do this and send you out there in the field without any equipment, without really any knowledge or without any resources to work safely, and they're not giving you basic information like what's the job hazard analysis, uh, OSHA reporting, no, scissor lift training, and all that telling you to go on a scissor lift what kind of employer you're working with, number one. And number two is, is that the kind of employer you really want to work for? Uh, that's what's going on. I'm going to go to commercial break right now because I have uh, an important update for my son on a situation that he is involved in. Please hold on for, uh, I'll be right back. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with The Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with The Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with The Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself 
with a powerful force of knowledge and support. OSHA Recordables, catastrophic losses, environmental disasters. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Polzel with Safety Wars. That's my daddy! Yes, Jessica, I am your father. And what's the monthly, uh, the daily message to those in the world of behavior-based safety? This is Safety Wars, broadcasting to our brothers and sisters in the occupied territory of behavior-based safety. Get out your secret decoder ring. Here is your nightly message. Learning is vital. Learning is vital. And yes, that is the lovely Mrs. Polzel there. Learning is vital. And that's what we're talking about here. When you're dealing with uh, your training, are, are they learning something? I can tell you what, you're going to learn something from our training, 845-269-5772 or jim at safetywords.com. And that goes for anybody on this, uh, on this uh, uh, network of ours called Safety FM. Okay, we're really at the uh, tip of the spear here with a lot of things. So we're going to mosey on over into our regular uh, news and views. Death Valley threatens temperature records, but tourists keep keeps coming. Well, the thing is, uh, right, I've been to Death Valley a number of times, way back in the day. My father and I took a vacation there, rode, rode our mountain bikes through uh, areas of Death Valley, you know, the areas that you're allowed to. I don't know if you're, they even allow you to do that here, but uh, temperatures, uh, and it was a great time. Temperatures in the famously sizzling Death Valley National Park are predicted to equal or even break modern records this weekend, but that hasn't stopped the tourists from showing up. Uh, one of the things that they always say about Death Valley is that people want to go there in the hot weather uh, because they're on vacation in the summer. And they figure, well, if they're going to Death Valley, let's go there. If it's, uh, you know, when it's hot, so we can have something to talk about. I was uh, reminiscing with my mother today. Uh I said, Mom, you know what uh, next week is the anniversary of? And she said, no. I said, our trip to Germany in 1983. And she said, I said, if you recall, that was the hottest summer on record in 1983 in uh, Germany. She said, yeah. And we were laughing because my brother John and I, uh, we were staying at the Holiday Inn in Augsburg, Germany. We were like uh, like 20 floors up, and it was so hot, and they didn't have air conditioning at that time in the hotel. So what I ended up doing, what we ended up doing was taking the beds apart and putting them on the balcony because it was nice and cool outside, and you're like 20 floors up, whatever it was. So we were high up uh, in there, and we were sleeping out on the balcony, and... And so we get up, we were, you know, we're getting ready. The tour bus is going to leave or whatever we're doing for that day in Augsburg. And John says, Jimmy, go outside and look down the hallway, see where the cleaning people are. So I got John there, two doors down. Okay, time to get up, Jim. Let's put the beds back together. 
So we're not talking to our parents about this. So uh, we're down in uh, the hotel getting breakfast and in the breakfast place. And I, and we hear there's these people looking at us and it's like this older couple. I think those are the kids that are worth sleeping at on the balcony. And yeah, yeah, that's them. Those are big guys. And he's like, and the husband is laughing. The wife is like all concerned and all, you know, uh, low class people sleeping out on the balcony. We had my parents see everybody looking at us and they're like, what did you boys do? <laughs> and we told them and they were like, that was a good idea. Well, what are you going to do? It's hot. No, there's no ventilation. So about five minutes later into the meal, we have all these people coming up to us saying, offering us money to take apart their beds and put it on the balconies. <laughs> so uh, pretty funny. Those two guys over there were sleeping out on the balcony. Funny story and everything else. Uh, but anyway, my uh, distant cousin, Carl, uh, on Facebook, uh, posted a memory last year. Where, and uh, he said, oh, I'm playing uh, this concert in Augsburg, Germany. And it was uh, in the in the hotel we were staying at where we did this. And, we, you know, he all got we all got a good laugh. Apparently, he was really laughing because that hotel uh, 40 years ago did not have a good reputation. So uh, he says, yes, I believe that you would do that, Jimmy. That sounds exactly like something you would do. Thanks for indulging me here on another story. Okay. Can airline seating get any worse? A new form of torture chamber. This is from the New York Times. I'm sorry, the Wall Street Journal today. I hate it. I, I despise flying because the uh, seats always have. Hold on. And the computer. I got the good computer here. So hopefully, right? Uh, here it is. Can airline seating get any worse? A new form of torture chamber. Passengers have flooded the FAA with complaints about narrow seats and scant legroom. It's literally painful to fly today. Like nearly everyone uh, who boards, pardon me, a commercial airliner uh, these days. Tina Dixon hates the shiny, the tiny, comfortable seats. At six foot six, she has a point. They are a new form of torture chamber, says Dixon, 62 years old, from uh, Blackshear, Georgia. For some, I'm verifying our feed is working here because it stopped working. Passengers have been sounding off for years around airline seating, no legroom, 10 cushions, and too narrow. Now politicians are listening. A bill introduced in Congress last month to update aircraft evacuation standards would compel federal regulators to study seat sizes and spacing. I know my wife uh, had a uh, deviant thrombosis from one of these seats. Uh, she had an extremely long flight, and it was not fun. I mean, uh, blood clots in the leg are never good. Uh, I'm I'm with me. I oh no, I lost a lot of weight, so the seats are a little bit more comfortable than they were. But I mean, it's still torturous out there. Road rage shootings in North Texas heat causing people to become more violent. This is from Yahoo News. Dal Dalia Fahid. 
The number of road rage incidents has increased since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, experts say, and we may see be seeing even more with the extreme heat in Texas. On June 23rd, a road raid incident in Fort Worth led to gun violence near Southwest Loop A20. Then, a few weeks later, on July 10th, a woman shot and killed in a road rage incident in Hearst after a uh, car almost hit the minivan she was riding in. The next day, on July 11th, a man was shot in the hand during a road rage incident. Tell you what, people are nuts out there. Don't engage anybody with road rage. People got to calm, calm the hell down, man. Europe is too set uh, to hit its hottest temperature ever within days. As 48 degrees Celsius, double heat waves that are named after mythological guardians of hell leave continent boiling in sweat. sweat. This is Siberus's inferno. Right? Uh, so anyway, it's hot. It's hot all over. I was fascinated by this today. Miracle operation. Doctors reattached a decapitated boy's head after 12-year-old struck in a horror accident. This is from the U.S. Sun. Doctors have reconnected the 12-year-old boy's skull to his body after he suffered an internal decapitation, meaning that the skin was still intact. His skull broke off the top of the vertebrae in his spine in the head in June, effectively separating his head from his body with just skin and muscles keeping it in place. The injury known as atlanto-occipital dislocation or internal decapitation. So this happened in Israel, and they managed to put everything back together again. I'm hoping for the child's uh, reco full recovery in this. And uh, with this, this is actually surprising. This is from the Financial Times. I don't know if I have access to this now. Joe Riley is the prospect of the childless city, and we talk about we talk about the very controversial demographic issues in on the show, and I'm not going to shy away from them because they are part of everything because they impact every aspect of our life. Here, these demographic shifts and these demographic changes. I'm not talking uh, racial things or anything like this, but just sheer numbers of the number of people and how old they are. Joe Riley is charging ahead, the wrist face of a busy head teacher. The small heels of her ankle boots clipped the echoing corridors of her school. Once in her office with his higgledy piggledy piles of papers. And remember, this is England here writing this. Decorated with postcards of book covers, photos of pupils and fair family, Ryler's demeanor softens as she admits to the stress and heartbreak of overseeing the primary school in Hackney, East London, that is expected to close next summer. Again, uh, low birth rates, families moving away because of expensive childcare, Brexit, and parents reevaluating their lives during the pandemic. Back in 2010, I should have published this because. Uh, Hard for people to uh, realize this. Uh, for, no, but I was a little bit. I was a little bit ahead of the curve. I said people are going to finally realize one day what the hell is going on. They're going to have time to contemplate, and then they're going to be pissed, and there's going to be problem. And 
should have been obvious to everybody. I think it was pretty obvious. I'm only stating the obvious. You could call me a certified safety uh, obvious person. I don't know. That didn't come out right. But anyway, the real impact of the pandemic on top of the loss of life is people had time to contemplate their lives and what they were doing with them. And this is one of the outbreaks. We had low birth rates to begin with. And remember, uh, this is from uh, this is the attitude from five years ago, low birth rates, right? Because children are five years old going into, children, uh, going into school. The pandemic is just going to compound that. And again, remember, what goes into all, having children? Schools, childcare, toys, diapers, everything that you need to take care of your child. So when you don't have the children there, all of those businesses go to Guvno. And that's something that I don't think was ever really realized or planned for way back in the uh, when this population problem became a focus starting in 1967 or 68 with uh, Paul Ehrlich's uh, population bomb or whatever the uh, name of the book was then. What do you want from me? Safety is a lonely warrior. You got to be out there doing your thing sometimes, right? On fire. A bid to protect lawmakers' personal info online faces pushback from pro-transparency groups. This, again, is a uh, hits a little bit close to home. And uh, a student, uh, an alumni uh, from my high school, recent alumni, was uh, shot and killed a couple of years ago by somebody who was trying to get back at his mother, who was a federal judge. A proposal to give federal lawmakers the legal right to scrub personal info about them and their family members from the Internet is facing resistance from pro-transparency groups who fear that the measure, this is from Politico, could interfere with watchdog journalism. The, it's a bipartisan bill. Senators Amy Cloakbar, Democrat of Minnesota, and Ted Cruz, Republican of Texas, who are offering the legislation as an amendment to the NDAA, National Defense Authorization Act, uh, contender protections are needed as federal officials and their families face an onslaught of threats to their personal safety from disgruntled constituents and others. Uh, yeah, I think probably uh, be a good thing. I know in Germany, uh, you have a right to disappear off the internet. And uh, after a while, you know, you have, they have laws again for that, right? Uh, which reminds me, there is a former uh, Jim Polzel groupie from when I was running for political office who uh, I will mention her name because she is fairly well known, uh, was completely canceled when she was in George Mason University. That's as specific as I'll get uh, a couple years back because she wrote some uh, con very well reasoned, but a little bit controversial opinions here. So, uh, you know, uh, it was uh, uh, I mean, horrible what she went through. I mean, she couldn't even get on the train 
uh, in Washington, D.C. without being harassed by someone who saw something about her online. And uh, I don't think she'll ever recover from this situation, uh, to be honest with you. A previously unknown species has been discovered lurking in the parks of L.A. and Orange Counties. The animal boasts 486 legs and a toothy creditor translucence of a glow-in-the-dark toy at day in daylight and weaves through the soil as elegantly as an embroiderer's needle. And it's, a, it's called a thread millipede. So this is actually pretty interesting here with this. So they found a new species in L.A., the 486-legged type of a millipede. Russians told... So here we go. We have a uh, itchy head here. Uh, so apparently millions of ordinary Russians watching TV this week were hit by an extraordinary TV message warning them that the hour of reckoning has come. So it was all uh, their TV station was uh, uh, hijacked. And it was an anti-war, pro-Ukrainian uh, thing to, I don't know, uh, commercial or interruption, whatever we're calling that. Uh, this appears to be a historical reference. Uh, following the Ukrainian military footage, ballet clips of Swan Lake appeared on the screen. This appears to be a historical Russian reference as Swan Lake was played on a loop after the deaths of Soviet leaders Leonov Brezhnev, Yuri Androfov, and Const Konstantin Tremenko. I'm old enough to remember who those people are. My brother worked with a guy that looked like Brezhnev. I worked with a guy that looked like uh, Vladimir Putin. He was his doppelganger, dead ringer. It was so we kept on calling him Vlad. Uh, his name was Frank. But anyway, uh, dramatic esque uh, uh, Hollywood actors join WGA in a historic double strike. This is our fight. I tell you what. I looked at this a little bit with the uh, uh, Screen Actors Guild Union and the Writers Union here in California. They have some pretty legitimate gripes here once you look into this. Usually we see in the past, and a lot of times uh, these union strikes are very controversial because they have to do with pay and benefits. And you get a lot of people saying, well, they're making enough money and blah, blah, blah. You know, get all this stuff. So there's a little controversial. I don't see these as controversial at all. They have the legit, okay, there's the normal play, pay and everything else. I get it. But the big thing is, is that uh, there was a potential of getting rid of uh, background actors here where they take your likeness once or they AI generated once. Right. And, you know, it was, uh, you know, it was, uh, uh, no, they, they take your likeness. They use it in multiple movies. And here I have, uh, here with a couple of things. One of the more, uh, uh, one of the more commonly known ones is Peter Cushing, the British actor. He played uh, 
what was it? He was a moth in the Star Wars saga. He died in 1994, but he uh, was in the later Star Wars movies. So in May uh, 2014, and uh, was there uh, that... uh, Here we go. Uh, He died in 1994, but he ended up in Rogue One and uh, subsequent movies there. Grand Moth is what he character was. I'm sorry there. I had to think of it. You know, again, dead for years. Another, the first time it was recalled was when an actor, Oliver Reed, died three weeks before the end of the filming of the movie Gladiator. I remember seeing it in The Sopranos when one of, once Tony Soprano's mother passed away and they had another actor in there and they superimposed her face on the actor. Again, uh, no, that that sucks. But, uh, you know, again, they, uh, no, they're reusing these people. A lot of times they're not getting paid or being paid at a lower end. It's a little bit creepy. We use software here uh, for transcription. I'm not going to mention the name of the software that has the ability to read back in your own voice. We've demonstrated it here. And also, there's also software out there where you can impose your someone's head on someone else's body, and it can be a deep fake uh, type of uh, pornography. All this stuff has got to be worked out, and that's one of the things that's out there. What is the role of computer-generated uh stuff out there cgi what is the uh ethical boundary there how do you get paid are you going now rather than hiring background actors are you just going to put background actors in there electronically that is scary stuff folks out there uh with this now shows like star trek have been dealing with this for many years uh, another movie, The Running Man, the original Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's another one. Uh, oh, and uh, who was it? The guy from Family Feud, uh, Dawson, right? Richard Dawson from, from uh, Hogan Heroes. He was in that movie. It's one of those things. So let's uh, go to another commercial break. I'm starting to lose my voice here. Is your safety training old, stale, and hackneyed? Is your safety trainer still preaching a warped version of behavior-based safety? How about safety training that actually addresses your hazards in your workplaces and is not standardized baloney from 25 years ago? Contact the Safety Wars team at safetywars.com or call Jim Polzel at 845-269-5772. Remember, if you're receiving this message, you are the solution to unsafe workplaces. In an unpredictable world, one voice rises above the chaos. Meet Jim Polzel, a seasoned safety expert who's navigated through some of the most dangerous scenarios from anthrax, explosive cleanups, disasters, and numerous environmental cleanups, and lived to tell the tale. Now, he's bringing his wealth of knowledge, insights, and experiences to you through Safety Wars. 
From workplace hazards to the hidden dangers in your own home, Jim covers it all. With his engaging storytelling and expert analysis, Safety Wars isn't just a podcast. It's your guide to a safer world. Join Jim Polzel and become part of the Safety Wars revolution. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts and videos. Safety Wars, your safety is our mission. I thought that was a pretty good commercial. I'm going to uh, be updating some of these in the near future. Uh, bear with me, folks. I'm working on some really big things. Mental health emergency rooms visits by teen girls spiked during the pandemic, according to one study. A significantly higher proportion of teenage girls visited hospital emergency rooms for mental health issues amid the COVID-19 pandemic, according to a recent study, which also found that visits from boys actually declined. The July 12th study published in the Journal of American Medical Association Network looked at 4.1 million children aged 5 to 17 and their mental health emergency department visits. During the second year of the pandemic, such visits among teen girls rose by 22.1%. During the pandemic, children were cut off from their school friends and other peers while remaining isolated at home, some of them facing abusive parents. Yeah, right. You're... right. Let me comment on this. And uh, my mother, my dear mother, uh, uh, had uh, she's been having some of her health challenges lately. She spent 25 years as a school safety officer in Woodbridge, New Jersey working for the police department. And what that was was primarily crossing children and uh, some other duties, uh, including she was a school, uh, police matron before they had female police officers, uh, the process prisoners that, uh, and that sort of thing, and a translator for Polish uh, for the police department. But anyway, she said... Sometimes the only positive interaction that these children had, and they were teenagers in middle school and uh, high school, the only positive interaction they had with a adult was with her. I mean, I, I up until a couple years ago, I was getting uh, emails uh, and texts through social media. Hey, uh, How's your mother doing? Blah, blah, blah. She helped me out from a tough situation. My mother, you know, came, tried to be a mentor towards some of these people. A lot of them were women, young women with problems. So I believe that. A lot of times as school friends and everything, parents are the real positive, uh, no, a parental figure, like a crossing guard, a favorite teacher. Anything. That could be uh, make the, all the difference in the world. Something that I tell my children, I tell myself, what do you see on these damn phones, right? And I'm going to call them damn phones today. And on the internet, it's not real. All right? It's just not real. Everything produced. Everything. Minor production here. Literally, everything is produced out there. There's a song by the rock group Sticks back in the 1970s, The Grand Illusion. 
I can't play the song here because of copyright issues and royalties. But it goes something like this. Welcome to the Grand Delusion. All right. Come on in and see what's happening. Uh, and it goes on through. This is Don't Be Fooled by the Radio, the TV, or the magazines. They show you a photograph of what life, uh, what, you know, uh, they show you a photograph of what life should be, but that's someone else's fantasy. Here with all the AI, video editing, editing, and everything else that we see out there, this is compounded. What you see on TV, what you see on the internet, what you see on social media, all the various sites, it's not real, it's produced. These are edited selectively. My brother, Eric, went looking for a house recently, and he goes into the house, and he, said, and he said, Jim, I've been looking at this house for over 25 years. I'm waiting for it to come on the market. I love the house. Finally, it came on the market. He goes to look at the house, and he says, man, aren't they really freaking creative with the fisheye lenses and a good photographer? The house is falling apart. But in the pictures, it looked beautiful. They were photoshopped. Beautiful lighting. Even here, I have lights. I have one light here, one light there. I also have portable lights uh, that I don't have up right now, but uh, when we uh, add to the studio here, slow, slowly but surely, we'll have them up. This, no, this is not real. And I think that's what part of this is with the teenagers. People have struggles out there. We all have struggles. I have struggles. Even the great Jay Allen, who has been, has been very open with his struggles a lot of times at uh, Safety Mystic on our network. Again, if you're contemplating suicide, don't do it. Get help. There's plenty, plenty of resources out there. Got to trust an adult. Uh, it's not worth it, this stuff. Most of these problems that we suffer are temporary. On to, man, it's 44 after an hour already. Let's go on over to study finds. All right, uh, that's a website we haven't been visiting lately. Superagers with razor-sharp memories, literally move faster than other 80-year-olds. This is out of Madrid, Spain. A recent study suggests that people in their 80s, octogenarians, who possess exceptionally sharp memories, tend to move faster than their peers. These older individuals, often called superagers, vividly remember daily events and life experiences as though they were decades younger. As a result, they demonstrate greater mobility than their peers. Right, uh, so better memory, lower rates of anxiety and depression, greater independence, and super performance on intelligence tests. So whatever you do, try to stay healthy. Try to stay sharp. Never stop learning. All right. Oh, come on, come on, come on. You're not imagining it. Headlines show U.S. media bias is growing, study says. This is at by John Ander, Alpha Study Funds, Rochester, New York. Does it feel like news headlines are lately are intentionally and designed to sow discord? It's not in your head. News 
Stories covering both domestic politics and social issues are becoming more and more polarized along ideological lines, according to a new study by researchers at the University of Rochester. The team analyzed 1.8 million news headlines from major U.S. news outlets spanning 2014 to 22 to reach their findings. You know, there was a groundbreaking uh, master's project by a brilliant Soon, uh, you know, an eventual certified safety professional written in 2003 and did this with environmental issues and came to the same conclusions. Very similar. And I kind of like wonder if people got a hold of that study that I, that was done, you know, and this this is about the fifth one that's come out like this. Led by Juvio Luo, a professor in computer science of computer science at the Albert Arendt Oakman Professor of Engineering, the study authors make made use of machine learning to analyze machine learning is AI to analyze news headlines across the country. Study authors explain that while there is a broad societal consensus that news media outlets adopt ideological perspectives in their articles, earlier research investigating the differences among outlets were limited in scope and usually use small sample sizes. The introduction of Machine learning, a branch of artificial intelligence, in this latest study allowed the research team to assess a vast sample of headlines over an eight-year period across nine representative media outlets. I'm not going to mention who they are. Some of them are left-wing. Some of them are right-wing. Some of them are right down the middle. The project utilized a technique uh, known as multiple correspondence analysis to gauge and measure the fine-grained thematic discrepancies between news headlines. A study grouped news stories into four categories, domestic, economic, social, and foreign affairs. From there, the study authors realized how left, right, and central media outlets differed in the language that they used across their headlines. Let's go down here. I might get into trouble. Let's go down. Okay, these are issues they report on that I really don't want to touch here because I'm going to get yelled at and screamed at. And let me check the time here. Okay. This is more uh, uh, information on Ozempic. Doctors know what we know about so-called Ozempic butt and Ozempic face. Ozempic and similar drugs developed for uh, treatment of type 2 diabetes have a lot in common with the old saying, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Good is the serendipitous finding drugs promote significant weight loss. Bad are the side effects and the cost. Ugly could be developing Ozempic butt or Ozempic face. What is that? Uh, goes on What how this is. With a very welcome, almost effortless... Uh, weight loss, however, comes loose and sagging skin. As the pounds disappear, there is a loss of volume and increase in skin elasticity. Face may look gaunt with the appearance of rapid aging and not a welcome effect. Ozempic butt isn't really a side effect of the drug, it's an association. Uh, rapid weight loss due to any intervention will cause loss of fat tissue. Well, it took them about 150 words to get there. Weight loss causes skin to sag. There are no people 
who have gone through lots of weight loss and they have sagging skin. Uh, but anyway, uh, how do you manage it? Well, there's different ways of doing that. I'm not going to mention them. New machine learning tool, again, AI, is helping to develop, unco uh, helping to uncover widespread Medicare fraud. Medicare fraud has rapidly spread across the U.S., and researchers at the Dartmouth Geisel School of Medicine have uncovered new insights in this concerning trend. Team examined the characteristics shared by regions where fraudulent Medicare home health care billing was most prevalent. The factors these factors included the sharing of patients among multiple agencies, high expenditure rates in specific regions, rapid increases in rates over time, and the presence of a Department of Justice anti-fraud office. So, I, so apparently, the anti-fraud office, right? Uh, uh, Indicated that there was areas of more fraudulent Medicare. Yeah, well, of course, because they're investigating them. I don't know. You've got to be kidding me. Home health care agencies play a crucial role in providing medical services to Medicare beneficiaries, such as skilled nursing in their homes. However, fraudulent behaviors have been observed, including unnecessary bill billing, kickbacks, and sharing of patient IDs by organized criminal organizations. I, 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 like I have one more thing to worry about. So what are you doing this weekend? Are you playing pickleball over the weekend? Well, as pickleball popularity booms, this is from study finds also, doctors urge players not to ignore nagging injuries. Pickleball is somewhat surprisingly the fastest growing sport in the United States. It, it has a little bit of a history of about 60 years. Uh, it started in the Pacific Northwest. I believe it was Seattle. Across between tennis and ping pong, pickleball has been sweeping the nation in recent years. With over 36 million Americans playing the game in 2022. That's a lot. That's like 10%. From a health perspective, uh, this racket paddle sport in which either two or four players set a plastic ball over a three foot high net is a fantastic new way for many to stay in shape. Uh, pickleball's name may be silly, and the activity itself isn't exactly high risk, but that doesn't mean there's no risk in getting hurt. Yes. Again, uh, here you go. There was a survey done, and a third of Americans report active, actively avoiding any sports or physical hobbies due to nagging injuries, and about half, 49%, agree it's not worth seeing a doctor of sports injury they believe that will heal on their own. Okay. This is from uh, NewJersey.com. If this will open. I have a storm coming through, and it's not coming up. And we're at 8.53 here. What else do we have here? Okay, here we have one. Some health officials have, and I, I'll share a story on this one. Some health officials have recently sounded the alarm about the rise in syphilis infections in recent years, with Houston authorities warning residents about a 128% increase in cases of the sexually transmitted disease. 
According to the official, 674 cases were reported in 2022 as compared with 295 cases. Recent rise being attributed to pregnant women who can pass a bacterial infection to their unborn babies. Uh, meanwhile, congenital syphilis scored from 16 cases in 2016 to 151 cases in 2021. The health agency sent in uh, their release. This is the uh, Houston uh, Health Department. Congenital syphilis occurs when bacteria is passed from the pregnant mother to her child. Okay, so uh, talking about this here, what's the story? We had an employee, one of my clients had an employee who tried to blame an STD on the paint at work. What happened was he was unfaithful to his wife and he picked up an illness at uh, one of his remote work locations and tried, and this is where it's really important that you go and have a good medical staff and able to evaluate this stuff because we sent him to a dermatologist, a specialist, and the dermatologist came back and said, this is, he's trying to pull, pull something here because his uh, illness is an STD and not from the paint. Right, because uh, sometimes I have allergies. It was a hysterical thing after we got laughing here. I'm laughing here. Sorry, it was me. Had to be there. Let's finish off with this. The CDC used journal to promote masks despite unreliable and unsupported data. This is from, I'm reading this. I have a news article here. But this is from MedRxiv. The preprint server for health sciences. This article has been submitted for peer review. It's not finalized. An analysis of studies pertaining to mass and morbidity and mortality weekly report. That's a CDC report. Characteristics and quality of all. I'm sorry. That's a Department of Human and Health, health Human Services report. Uh, and the quality of all studies from 1978 to 2023. Uh, this is from MMWR. Let's see. I'm going to read from the abstract here. Because the MMWR has substantial influence on the United States public health policy and is not externally peer-reviewed, it is critical to understand the scientific process within the journal. Mask policies during COVID is one topic that has been highly influenced by data published in the MMWR. The article is by Tracy Ben Hogue, Allison Haslam, and Vinay Prasad. What's the objective of the story? Describe and evaluate the nature and methodology of the reports and appropriateness of conclusions in MWR for dating to mask. And a uh, retrospective cross sectional study was from 1978 to 2023. And they had different parameters here, uh, here, and everything. What were the conclusions? MMWR publications pertaining to masks drew positive conclusions about mask effectiveness over 75% of the time, despite only 30% testing masks and less than 15% having significantly significant results. Those studies are randomized, and over half drew causal, casual, I'm sorry, causal, 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 it's Friday night, and I've been doing this all week, drew causal conclusions. The level of evidence generated was low, and the conclusions drawn were mostly from un 
often unsupported by the data. Our findings raise concerns about the reliability of the journal for informing health policy. So what does this mean? Government reports are often white papers, meaning they're not peer-reviewed. Rather than relying on the news media for reporting this stuff, you actually have to go in there. And for people who know what they're looking at, I, I would hope to know, I look, know what I'm looking at usually. See what these things say. Because I tell you what, the safety industry has lost a lot of credibility. And I don't see, I haven't seen it coming back yet, at least in my projects, because of what they made people do during the pandemic with a lot of stuff. So we will see you uh, next week. Uh, and I hope to release one uh, program this weekend. For Safety Wars, this is Jim Ozel. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, yeah. Thank you.